I am Solis Veritas, and this is the Defending American Exceptionalism podcast. It appears many Americans have forgotten what makes America exceptional. This podcast is here to remind them. The greatest country on earth has been so successful that it may now be suffering from that very success. The lack of any real suffering in recent decades has made it all too easy for people to criticize and malign the greatest country ever to have been established by man, while sitting comfortably in their centrally heated homes, watching big screen TVs, interacting with their fellow men primarily through social media, and experiencing life events via virtual reality video games. This podcast is meant to serve as a reminder and tutorial on the unique and special form of government our founders created, and to explain the real history, purpose, and structure of America. It hopes to offer a counter to the falsities gaining popularity in the past 20 years, probably even longer, that America is no better than any other country, no different and no more honorable. Indeed, the very qualities of our country and her people that make it great are under attack in a way that threatens the very foundation on which it balances. Keyboard warriors, echo chambers, and virtue signaling with no substance are all the means by which individuals hide from any thoughtful discourse with their neighbors and make nearly impossible any honest, intellectual discussion of the issues of the day. If you'd like to engage in those types of discussions, stay tuned. This episode is being recorded on March 15, 2022. Episode 58, Gas and Energy Prices. How high will they go? And what do they mean? The situation with Russia is deteriorating. The United States changed course on what was originally reported to be a plan to help Poland transfer its aging MiG-29s to Ukraine in exchange for the United States backfilling Poland's airplane supply with F-16s. Favored nation status to Russia has been withdrawn by the United States. The United States, the European Union, and others are imposing more sanctions on Russia. Vladimir Putin is making further threats against those who would interfere in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Oil and gas exports from Russia are being halted or significantly curtailed. And all the while, gas prices are soaring higher. Of course, it is not just the international situation with Russia that is causing an increase in oil and gas prices. Those increases began prior to Russia's entry into Ukraine, but that conflict has not helped matters. The market for oil and gas is a global one, and any shutting off of supply from a major contributor to that market will undoubtedly result in higher prices. But the issues surrounding Russia are not the only factor in the price for gasoline we are now paying at the pumps. To understand the oil and gas industry, it's first important to understand what is meant by the terms oil and gas and what different commodities are derived from them. Oil, often meaning crude oil, is found naturally and from it petrol is derived through a refinement process that involves heating the crude oil and then pulling from it at different temperatures. First, petroleum gas, which separates at a lower temperature and includes things such as propane, butane, and methane, which are actually types of natural gas as well. And then at higher temperatures, when the naphtha separates, the key ingredient in making petroleum gasoline, collecting that from the crude oil. Gas can refer to any of the refined gas substances collected during the refinement process of crude oil, or it can refer to natural gas, which much like the crude oil, the black gold of the Beverly Hillbillies, is a naturally occurring substance for which we can drill to collect. Thus, when discussing gas prices in the broadest sense, the term gas could refer to all gas products, butane, propane, petroleum, gasoline, and the like, but not all of those are the same as the gas referred to when monitoring the prices of gas by the gallon sold at gas stations around the country. And this reference to gas does not generally include natural gas, though natural gas and crude oil prices are often affected by similar government policies related to drilling, environmentalism, and other methods of discovery and withdrawal of these fossil fuels from below the Earth's surface. 
because the cost of crude oil will affect the cost of refined petroleum gasoline, oil and gas prices are related. But natural gas and crude oil, and all its byproducts, are separate categories of goods. Where crude oil is used to produce heating oil, diesel fuels, gasoline, propane, jet fuel, and even asphalt and plastics, natural gas is used almost in its natural state for electrical power, commercial and residential heating, and various industrial production processes. Essentially, natural gas is found in its gaseous form and can include the same butane, propane, and ethane that can essentially be refined out of the more solid crude oil, though up to 80% of natural gas tends to be methane. These fossil fuels are related but not identical, and their economic markets are also related but not identical. Due to the similarities, for economic purposes, these natural resources make up what is commonly referred to as the oil and gas industry. Focusing on gasoline, a key economic indicator because it not only dictates what you and I pay at the pump to fill our vehicle's gas tanks, but also affects the prices of all goods as they must be transported by land, air, or sea, primarily via vehicles, planes, or vessels that all require gasoline to operate. And a number of factors will affect the price of gasoline, including the cost of crude oil, the costs of refinement, distribution and marketing costs, and taxes. In addition, the normal factors of supply and demand are at play in the pricing of any good, and they are, as well, with gasoline. Today's gas prices are reportedly the highest since the 2007-2009 financial crisis, and only look to continue to climb. But is there anything that our government can do to reduce this increase, or slow it? That is the difficult question. There is little debate, though some on the left continue to try to insist there is debate, that energy independence provides both national security benefits and the ability to better control supply, thereby influencing pricing domestically. If, for example, the United States relied only on its own natural resources and domestic refineries for production, then international unrest in other oil and gas producing nations would have less effect on our market and pricing. But the market is still a global one. So how much does domestic production and energy independence truly help in the arena of gas prices? As is often the case when it comes to government policy and the economy, the proper question is not so much what can the government do to improve economic conditions, but what could the government stop or refuse to do to avoid impeding a good economy, in this case, as it relates to gas prices. In the realm of policies that serve to increase gas prices and thereby increase the overall cost of goods, the following are bad when it comes to consumers. Newly adopted EPA rules, altering the emission standards for oil and gas production, both for new and existing oil and gas sources. Stricter emission standards increase both the cost of extraction and refinement of oil and gas, with little real positive effect on the claimed climate crisis, given that as we attempt to reduce emissions, other nations, like China and India, due to a growing middle class and increased access to cars and other gas-utilizing products, are actually increasing their emissions. So what self-imposed strict rules do Americans today have to suffer through that merely add to inflation, an already existing problem in the economy? Well, the, Biden's administra the Biden administration's actions from day one to reduce or eliminate many of our domestic energy producing projects also serve to reduce supply. Where the administration talks about and has released special oil reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, those minuscule quantities of petroleum serve no real economic purpose and do not affect downward trends in oil and gas pricing. What the administration did do is cut off a number of projects that would have significantly increased our oil and gas supply. Those actions included suspending oil and gas leases in various parts of the country, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, tightening ozone and other standards that will likely serve as barriers for any new oil or gas projects, 
and otherwise increasing regulation of this industry in such a way that investment in it is less attractive and the costs to do business are increasing. Those costs are passed on to consumers, at the pump, and elsewhere. Biden administration policies also include rejoining the Paris Agreement. Imposing on states via the recently passed infrastructure bill a requirement to put in place carbon emission reduction plans. Imposing new burdensome regulations on power generation. And if those in charge get their way, additional bad energy policy will include increased taxes on energy and restricting our own energy producers' ability to export crude oil, thereby limiting our own domestic producers' ability to sell those of our natural resources that they are still allowed to extract, while also not allowing us full access to them. These are bad policies. They do little, and often nothing, to address any climate change threats while imposing harsh regulation, penalties, and costs on domestic business and domestic consumers. And this doesn't even address the issue of direct energy taxation that serves to increase even further the cost to consumers. Gasoline is taxed at both the federal and state level. As a starting point for why such taxes are not the best way to regulate gasoline production and consumption, it's important to understand that such taxes are incredibly regressive, often harming the poorest among us. Of course, in the case of gas taxes, as with much of the climate change environmentalist agenda, it is here where the Democrats' elitist mentality is often most revealed, and the fact they don't care about the poorest among us can be noted. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, when asked about rising gas prices, responded with a smile. If you drive an electric car, this would not be affecting you. Of course, electric cars are far, far more expensive on average than their gas-using counterparts, and at this point anyway, there would be few places to charge them, few charging stations available to those in rural and poorer communities. And statements like these are exactly why our elected officials are becoming more viewed as a ruling elite than representatives of the people. Just as their taxes on gas are regressive, so too are their views on the entire climate change energy, energy agenda that they are pushing upon all of us. In his own let-them-eat-cake moment, Secretary of Transportation Beat Buttigieg shrugged off concerns about high ga- gas prices by saying in response to questions about rising prices, Clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we put out a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so that people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV, an electric vehicle. This statement was made nearly contemporaneously with the administration's announcement that they are proposing, quote, limits on new buses and large trucks to curb some of their greenhouse gas emissions by up to 90% in the next decade. The problem with these kinds of statements is that either these officials do not understand or they are willing to hide from the American people the fact that in economically challenging times, these kinds of policy changes serve only to increase costs, hurting the most vulnerable among us financially. And a push toward electric vehicles, for example, entirely ignores the true costs of these vehicles. Increased charging stations are fine, but until it takes the same or less time to charge your vehicle as it does to fill up your gas tank, a society that moves too quickly toward this transition promises travel that includes hours or more of time spent waiting for your turn to recharge your car. In addition, there are indirect costs that are entirely overlooked in any public discussion about electric vehicles. The batteries used to power these vehicles require aluminum, steel, copper, glass and carbon fibers, polymers, and lithium. Similarly, the motors of these electric cars require aluminum, cobalt, iron, copper, manganese, graphite, rare earth minerals such as neodymium and niobium, lithium, and more. 
And here is where the utopia of electric vehicles starts to get even messier. To obtain these materials requires mining, transportation, smelting, roasting, and other refining prior to their use in the actual vehicle production. All steps that require electricity that is provided, you guessed it, by traditional fossil fuels. In addition, the refinement and production processes for making these natural resources usable in the electric vehicle create their own pollutants, including the creation of byproducts such as sulfur, lead, arsenic, and even naturally occurring but radioactive materials such as uranium. And where do we find some of these key components for the manufacture of electric vehicles? In some not-so-friendly places. China. China currently has 95% of the rare earth minerals needed for electric, electric vehicle production. And though areas within the United States have deposits of these minerals, we are far behind the production of China, and any increase in production is likely to meet the same environmental objections as gasoline-powered cars and the oil and gas industry that powers them. The Democratic Republic of the Congo. That's a primary source of cobalt, with much of the market for that material controlled also by China. And though not yet the primary player, Russia has recently taken steps to increase its mining of lithium, understanding the value of this material, and also finding yet another way to provide something of value to the global economy. Russia has access to great deposits of lithium, but had fallen behind in extracting and refining them. It has ramped up its efforts in recent years, as Western societies have pushed electric vehicles. And what happens as the batteries that power these vehicles need replacing? Where will the old batteries be disposed? That's a question that's never answered. And on top of all the questions about whether the production of these electric vehicles causes more harm than the good that may come from the reduced emissions, recent studies appear to suggest that the emissions reductions of these electric vehicles are not as great as they originally appeared. An MIT study that evaluated actual emissions concluded that a Tesla pumps out about 226 grams of carbon dioxide per kilometer as compared with a Mitsubishi Mirage that pumps out only 192 grams per kilometer. Though this difference is in part due to the different size in the vehicles, the point is that the emission savings are minuscule, especially if the environmental costs of production of the electric vehicle is considered. We can talk about all the issues surrounding electric vehicles, but the fact remains that as of now, we rely on fossil fuels and the costs of those fuels, particularly crude oil and the resulting gasoline from it, are rising at historic rates. What the government should not be doing is further imposing policies that serve only to increase those prices at a time when the economy was already suffering from almost unprecedented inflation. And best estimates are that any move toward a society operated primarily by renewable energy, if it could ever even be truly achieved, isn't likely to be possible until 2050 or beyond, where estimates of completion and use of the Keystone XL pipeline, for example, are that that could be fully operational in just about a year. And no matter how many times he says it publicly, President Biden simply cannot place the blame for the current gas price hikes on Russia. Russia may be a contributing factor, and no doubt it has given many nations substantial reliance on crude oil and gasoline from that country. But there are so many more factors at play in the rising price of gasoline and the rising price in nearly everything. No doubt increased demand as the world reopened after the pandemic helped to create the perfect storm, one that would take already rising prices and set them ablaze, moving ever higher even today. Inflation was already a problem and the topic of a prior episode, and inflation almost always includes increases in crude oil and those products that are made from it, including gasoline. But the fossil fuels that make up crude oil and natural gas are also the precursors to most plastics, 
One need only consider how many consumer goods and other items contain plastic to un plastics to understand that significance. Where all of these prices are increasing and hurting families, it is a legitimate question to ask why the Biden administration does not appear overly concerned with these economic turns. The answer lies in the same one that was revealed by Secretary Buttigieg's reaction to high gas prices. This administration is not concerned with the average family or the current state of things. Its primary goal, as it has been from the beginning, is to push the Green New Deal and to hasten a move away from fossil fuels, even if the science, much like the science did not support COVID lockdowns, does not actually support either the goals or methods sought to be achieved. For instance, low cost of plastics does not further the climate change agenda. On the contrary, when crude oil prices are low, not only are things like gasoline lower in price, potentially encouraging more use of the evil internal combustion engine, but the price to recycle things like plastic actually increases. Recycling is expensive. In most instances, it is not an easy or cheap process. So when the production of new plastics becomes less expensive, the incentive to incur the added cost of recycling is lessened, and a company or individual in need of plastics may opt for new rather than recycled. The same is generally true of metals and papers, and the falling of prices versus the cost of recycling, though those goods are not directly tied to or produced from fossil fuels. About 10% of the world's crude oil production abstraction is used in the production of plastics. So that industry is a key player in the terms of cause and effect related to pricing and crude oil prices. So do our leaders seek to increase prices, or at least not object to the increases, because they're more invested in climate change policies than the hardships of everyday people? Probably so. At a recent hearing before the Subcommittee on Energy of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, Tom Pyle of the Institute for Energy Research, an independent nonprofit research organization, explained the situation this way. Wide swaths of the elected government and administrative state have decided that investments in oil and gas must be minimized and eventually eradicated. Going on, Pyle said in his testimony on March 8th, even as recently as two weeks ago, at the height of the administration's scrounging around for liquefied natural gas they could send to the European Union, the Federal Energy Regulato Regulatory Commission, FERC, issued two policy statements making it clear that the hurdles to permit liquefied natural gas terminals and their feeder pipelines would be getting higher, not lower. And he continued, stating that those involved in the oil and gas industry concluded that this administration is, quote, going to be actively hostile to their products into the foreseeable future. It should, should, it should surprise no one, therefore, that these executives and investors are unwilling to make decisions on projects that may take decades to break even. In short, when you are looking for who or what is responsible for high prices for oil and natural gas, whether in the United States or the EU, look no further than the government and its officials who have made and make decisions every day to drive up the cost of gasoline and natural gas by driving away investment in oil and natural gas. This testimony is contrary to the public position those in the administration take when directly asked if they have any role in what is causing higher prices. Just last week, President Biden claimed he, quote, can't do much about gas prices. And it may be true that he cannot directly take a single action to lower them, but he is either intentionally or ignorantly ignoring the many steps his administration has already taken and plans to take that do nothing but serve to increase prices. He insisted his policies were not, quote, holding back domestic energy production, despite the clear evidence and common sense suggesting to the contrary. And many across the aisle from the president's party are calling him out on this falsity, with, Senator Minority Leader, with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell tweeting in response to a ban on Russian oil that, quote, we must recognize 
that the past year of bad policies from this anti-domestic energy administration will make this necessary step more painful than it had to be. Democrats must let Americans produce American energy. McConnell is right. Allowing Americans to produce American energy not only would serve to regain our energy independence, it would allow exports of the surplus of that energy production to other areas currently relying on oil from places like Russia, providing an increase in global supply such that prices can be reduced. With inflation already at a 40-year high, the ever-increasing gasoline prices and prices of other energy sources are also making an already taxed supply chain even less reliable. Who is going to pay to ship goods overseas or across country if the costs are so high and the predictability of an arrival of such goods so tenuous? Rising gas prices may be good for the left's new green deal, but as that set of climate change policies has itself always been, it is bad for America. Rising energy prices, particularly gas prices, are always reported as a kind of bellwether of the economy as a whole. As mentioned, that is in large part because increased energy costs increase the cost of obtaining raw materials, producing goods, and getting those goods to the end consumer. But gas prices are also meaningful to everyday people. Not everyone may care about the price of gold or the value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average or even the general rate of inflation, though increased prices across the board are typically noticed by consumers. But the gas prices at the pump fluctuate daily, and when those fluctuations show not just a back and forth or seasonal trends, and when filling up one's gas tank is twice as expensive as just weeks earlier, it does not go unnoticed. But what often does go unnoticed are the national security issues that may be involved when our gas industry is restrained from operating at its full capacity, and when we, as we have for too much of the past decades, rely on nations, groups of nations, and organizations that do not have America's best interests as a concern. That is what's happening today, but what did not have to happen. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but when energy independence is possible and existed just a short time ago, reliance on the likes of Russia or OPEC or Saudi Arabia simply to further a political agenda that has not shown to be supported by a majority of Americans or to be well-founded in good policy is improper and unwise. Back in 2007, our reliance on oil imports was inexplicably large, importing 63.5% of our daily consumption despite having our own oil reserves and natural resources sufficient to provide 100% daily consumption through domestic sources. Under President Trump, however, with the relaxation of regulations on the oil and gas industries, the United States became energy independent, proving that it is not necessary to rely on external sources for our energy needs. Keep in mind that energy independence, it has been said for years, was unattainable, but we did attain it. And why does that matter? Well, our imports of oil come most often from unstable parts of the world, from the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia and Iran, to Venezuela, to Africa and Russia. Too often, the Western world ignored its own energy resources and looked to these other players for its oil needs. Indeed, in 2008, for example, we imported oil from 10 countries that were on the State Department's travel warning list, meaning those nations were viewed as, quote, having long-term protracted conditions that make a country dangerous or unstable, end quote. What we are seeing today is Vladimir Putin's exploitation of the role Russia plays in supplying Western Europe with energy. And this is not the first or last time a country will use its role in supplying energy to another for its own gain. Though calls from the far left in our nation and the Green Party in the UK and other environmentalist political groups throughout the West seem to want us to move away from fossil fuels with no good replacement, it simply means that none of these proponents of the elimination of fossil fuels can provide a legitimate alternative, but we are allowed to continue to rely on the likes of Russia to pro provide for our needs. 
And we continue to attempt to derive, discover, and use renewable energy sources without yet having found one that can truly do everything we need our energy resources to do. Neither solar nor wind power has proven capable of providing sufficient stable energy, relying too much on wind and sun fluctuations. Nuclear energy, one of the cleanest energy sources available, goes unsupported, particularly in our country, due to irrational fears of the small risk of, da- of danger the nuclear power plants may pose as compared with plants utilizing coal or oil for power. Even where one argues that we should move away from fossil fuels, ignoring the current state of affairs and the current need for such ener- energy sources today, it instead makes us vulnerable to the whims of others and still lacking in any real alternatives to fossil fuels needed to run the world today. It's great to plan for the future, but we must first plan for today. Consideration of national security implications of our energy policy and the resulting high gas prices seen today is not to say that national security decisions are the only ones contributing to today's high prices or that national security can justify otherwise bad policy. But when bad foreign policy and bad domestic energy policy combine, higher gas prices and thereby higher prices for everything are bound to be the result. As always, thank you for listening. Gas prices are affected by many different factors, cost to extract crude oil, cost to refine it, transportation costs, supply and demand, and international situations. Today, rising gas prices are indicative of a number of those situations, if not caused, at least contributed to, by bad policies from the current administration. Limiting and dissuading domestic production, pumping unheard sums of money into the economy, something this and the last administration did, forcing reliance yet again on unstable and unfriendly nations for energy, one of which is now embroiled in an international conflict, and otherwise touting clean energy alternatives that are not yet capable of providing for our needs, all hinder the oil and gas industry and increase prices. Where the product at issue is also highly taxed, the higher prices also hit the poorer among us much harder. And where our supply chain for so many things continues to be less than secure and stable, an increase in transportation costs adds just another layer of economic difficulty. Needless to say, gas prices are on the rise, and there appears no willingness by those in charge to consider that steps they may have taken could in any way have contributed to this economic indicator. Next episode, I will discuss more details about the current state of education in America and why the rewriting of history and the failure of many students to understand the history of the 20th century has resulted in a failure to understand so many of today's issues. Let us not forget that history is bound to repeat itself, especially when we fail to know and understand it. Until then, stay free, be brave, search for truth, defend our Constitution, and God bless America. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to share the podcast with others. If you wish to help this podcast continue, you can contribute to support it by going to anchor.fm backslash solace-veritas and clicking the support button. The Defending American Exceptionalism podcast is written and produced by Solace Veritas. Original music by Canticum Octar. Special thanks to Morales Susceptor. Copyright. 2022.